This is Gaming NBS, episode 02, Metagaming. So I'm Sean, one of your co-hosts. And I'm Brett, the other one. So let's get into announcements briefly. Um, I had a couple down. So last time we podcasted on our pilot episode, I said, yeah, email. Email us. But I never mentioned the email. So you can email us, gamingandbs at gmail.com. If you have any uh, questions, comments, suggestions, feedback, all are welcome. Um, we may uh, use your information on the air uh, by chance if we read your question aloud. Um, so just let us know if we're able to do that or not. First name, last name, both. What, Did we actually get anybody emailing us, regardless we, of the fact that we didn't tell them? No. No? Okay. So it's definitely good we tell them this time. That's good. <laughs> Indeed. We have a poll on the website. Uh, again, I mentioned that during the pilot episode, but didn't mention what the hell the poll was. So if you go to the poll, um, it's a it asks basically how you got into the hobby. Um, some of the options are, you know, older a sibling, younger, older sibling, a friend. Uh, you got into it on your own. Maybe you saw an ad or you picked it up randomly in the um, – in a bookstore or what have you. So we're interested in just to find out how people got into the hobby. And then um, Monster Manual. Monster Manual for the latest iteration of Dungeons & Dragons has been released as of this past Friday at the local game stores or select game stores. I'm sure folks that have pre-ordered it online will be getting those. I think they're available a week or two later, if I'm not mistaken. Cool. Did you happen to get a copy, Brett? I did not. I'm still I'm behind on my 5e stuff. I've been struggling internally and uh, monetarily to decide if I'm going to jump on it. But um, the more I read, the more I see, the more you tell me about your experiences with it and so forth, I think you're going to convert me and I'm going to end up putting more money into it. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. I'm not going to do any converting, Brett. I'm just going to merely talk about the game and what I, f- what I read about it. And how awesome it is, and no, how no. much I w- how much it's exactly what I think I need. That type of thing. The first one's free. It's okay. Oh no! Oh no! No, I- I'm going to let you come to that conclusion on your own. Very nice. Thank you. All right. So, um, the DMG another n- announcement that the Dungeon Master's Guide from Wizards of the Coast has been a little delayed three weeks, um, with the release date now December 9th. And uh, to quote Mike Merles, quote, we added an entire additional cycle of design and editing to ensure that the books were as close to perfect as humanly possible. The layout and visual design was the result of hours spent carefully handcrafting the books. That extra time proved to be a huge boon as the designers had the chance to go through each book page by page to make sure everything fit perfectly, unquote. And I know a personal buddy of mine out there uh, that works for Wizards. Um, I think I emailed him about something else, um, gaming related, um, and he mentioned he was he's getting hot on the the DMG, so he's probably putting in some extra hours there. So, any news or announcements from your side of the fence, Mister Brett? No, nothing really. I mean, the uh, while I appreciate the the DMG being delayed, I mean that it makes sense, right? You want it to be as good as you can get it. I'm a project manager for my day job, right? So when I see that type of thing, I'm like, oh, I know what that is. It just it sounds like something I would tell my executives to get them off my back. You know, the cool thing, though, is that in this hobby, for uh, for good or for ill, people tend to be incredibly honest about this type of thing, and they really do want it to be as good as it can be. I mean, that's it, it's not just... You know, to make the executives happier, whatever the case may be. So I'm normally I'd be a lot more cynical about it, but here I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's good. I hope it's uh, I hope it's as good as they hope it is. You know, type of thing. Yeah, I think somebody mentioned when I posted it on there. I was like, well, it's better to have it, you know, be right than not. And you know, they welcome that. And I think with 
you know, Kickstarter aside and all the, even Kickstarter, when things are going to be late and people are just upfront and honest and people and keep people well in the loop and informed. Um, I think that's just good customer service. And I think it goes a long ways and, you know, some people might get irked, but it's worse if you don't tell them anything and then it's delayed and it goes on and then it becomes this like ridiculous. I don't know. It's just ridiculous. Well, this only gets stupid if it goes from, hey, a three-week delay to December 9th, and then, hey, guess what? We didn't even make Christmas, and you got to wait till next year. That'll That's when it'll get stupid, and they'll really piss people off. One delay, they can handle that. Three weeks, basically a month back, not so bad, I'm assuming. And in, in this publishing industry and trying to get things right, it's a big four-color dynamic type of uh, presentation. You want it to be good. And uh, if they want to take back the crown, you know, dethrone uh, Paizo from where they're sitting with – Pathfinder sales and so on, and and get back to D and D being the game. They're, they they got to make sure it's perfect. I do think that they got to hit a, a December ship date so people can do that for the holidays for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's go into random encounter where we talk about something completely random. Could be about gaming, and sometimes it's not. Um, usually, it's a rant of some kind, and I think this week. Brett has something he wants to get off his chest. Yes. So I love uh, blog posts, right? They're cool. I like going out to the blogs and seeing, hey, so-and-so's got this thing. I follow the secret DM. Every once in a while, he's got something cool. And um, Sean Patrick Fannin's got some his video blog thing he does. He's got some cool stuff. But one of the things that's really pissing me off to no end is what is like link bait within the gaming community. Go to Google Plus and you get somebody who goes, hey, Here's a really cool article, blah, 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 and they link over to their blog. Like, oh, great. I bet this blog is this in-depth or page-and-a-half type of discourse on this topic. You click over there, and it's our same fucking size as of a Google Plus post. I mean, it's this minuscule, hey, everything I just said on the Google Plus post, it's exactly the same thing with another link to where I got this idea from. Tell me what you think. I'm like, guys, guys, stop. It's... It, <laughs> If you're trying to use your blog to monetize or if it's a way to get your name out there, if you want to be famous in the gaming community or whatever the hell your thing is, I get it, kind of. But if you've got people following you on Google+, especially Google+, they're already there. If your blog post is like a paragraph and a half with just a link to somebody else and you're asking for responses, keep it on Google+. There's no point to drag me across the internet to your little blog so I can read the same damn thing you already said. And then I'm like, okay, so where do you want my response? Do uh, do you want it in your blog? Do you want it on Google Plus? Where are you going to react to it? What's the point? I just I hate that. Bugs the crap out of me. So note to self: when I tweet, I should take the same tweet and put it in a blog post. That's and, perfect. And, That's in the, a- and in the tweet, put a link to the blog post that is exactly the same thing I just tweeted. Yeah, that's super sexy. I love that. And include Brett, even though you're not on Twitter. Try to get that. <laughs> yeah, to exactly. Your just just yeah. drag me into it, no matter what. And some of the some of the things they've got, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, or whatever it is, or it could be cool, but now it's annoying because I'm starting to see certain people are repeat offenders to me, and I'm like, okay, if you put it up there, I don't freaking care anymore. I don't go to their blogs anymore. I'm tired of looking at it. It's just annoying because I can't tell where the meat of what they're trying to tell me is. If they've got some good idea or whatever the case may be, and it's either in your blog or in Google+, but or if you're going to put it in both places, that's fine, but I'm already here. Why do you have to drag me to the other place to read something that I already just read? It's just a waste of my time. So I think that a lot, there's a few – and I will speak and the, and, the, and the half a second that it takes me to click it is just way too much, as you know. So Right. <laughs> so I have – to get into social media and how to use it and you know everything, I, I struggle with some of that myself. And though I can appreciate and empathize with your frustration, uh, there's some people that don't kind of think about how they want to approach their strategy with social media, right? So they have a blog, they have Twitter, they have Google+, they have a Facebook, and then they regurgitate all the stuff on all the platforms, which is okay. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing um the trouble is you know and i think the mentality is i'm gonna go to where the people are so if you follow the person on all four of those channels you're gonna see it four times and that may annoy you 
it's for the people that like, I don't have a Facebook account. So if I'm only following Brett on Google plus and he posts the same thing at Google plus and Facebook, I'm not going to see the Facebook post. Now, having said that, I do think like when I blog, which reminds me, it's probably way overdue, but yeah, you got to have some girth in the article and then how you see my, my beef is some people will do that. They'll write an article on their blog and then they'll post it on Google plus they'll post a link and maybe the synopsis get auto gets auto populated. But they, what they do is they'll share it to like five different places. So then oh, yeah. it shows up like four different times in your stream. Like, Oh, I'm going to share it personally public or whatever public. And then I'm going to share it to gamers. And then I'm going to share it to RP role-playing games community. And then I'm going to share it because it's star Wars based. I'm going to share it to the star Wars role-playing community. And so all of a sudden I look and it's like, dude, I got your post five times in my stream, man. Can you even spread it out? Maybe like post one, one place in the morning, post another place in the evening, post another place the next day. I mean, you're still going to propagate it and that way it doesn't clog my stream and I don't have to like turn you up or down as far as frequency in my stream. But Google plus is a whole nother beast, but I can totally understand where you're coming from. All I want is the, and maybe this is just me and other people don't care and it's fine with but if you have a blog, I'm expecting that to be the in-depth look at whatever it is that you're talking about. Much like we have a podcast here, right? If you go on our um, Gaming BS website, it'll give you the synopsis and the basic stuff we talked about. But you have to listen to the damn thing to get the detail. It's an hour long. It's an hour long worth of content. You cite, you listen through the whole thing. You get all the bits and bobs and pieces. If your Google Plus synopsis is the same length and has the exact same detail that your blog post has, this is a waste of time. That's how I'm, that's my stance. Yeah. All right. So I think we've we've killed that horse. Yeah, I could keep beating it, but I well, no, whatever. Moving on. <laughs> I don't have a stick big enough to beat that thing. All right. Exactly. So, so now, what are we playing? Um, so, uh, Brett. Yes. We play role-playing games. We totally do play GM, whatever, we're involved in them. What in the world are you playing or running or what are you involved with right now? So right now, um, I have I have a fantasy world uh, I've named Avalon, named it yeah, Christ over a decade ago I, I built this thing. It's this big uh, city-state type campaign, Thieves World. The video game Thief was actually part of my inspiration for Look and Feel. Um, Robert Lynn Asprin's The Thieves World stuff, uh, Fafford the Grey Mauser, Lankmar, all that good stuff. So that world I've used multiple different uh, core, core rule systems for. I've used GURPS back in the day when I first made it, different versions of D&D and so on. Well, I've decided, I think I mentioned this last time in our pilot, I'm going to go with Osric this time as my core system. However, to add some fun to it and just taking different components of what the guys wanted to do, we're going to use the Osric as the base system. I'm going to use some Dungeon Crawl Classics, Mighty Deeds, their deed die concepts, you know, the, the free-forming, not a list of prescribed feats per se, but the ability to do all sorts of different types of things. Uh, we're going to steal from Rollmaster their critical hit charts. I've got a ton of those. The guys love those. That'll be a lot of fun. And because I tend to run investigative-style games, there's going to be intrigue, things they've got to figure out and so forth. I love the gumshoe system that uh, Robin Laws came out with. Love it. And they did a... Um, uh, lore finder which was a kind of a gumshoe adaptation for pathfinder well it's you know pathfinder's dnd just take it tweak it around a little bit and uh, i think i've got something that works i've come up with a quick draft it's nothing that i'm going to publish right it's just for my crew as long as we understand it it's fulfilling all the different technical needs and freeform needs and everything else that the group has like i said last time we talked about this and this is kind of what they said hey we'd like to have these types of flavors I'm like i can do that poured it into a bucket and said, hey, we can run it in the world. We all know the world. We've been playing in it for years. So it's just a different way to approach it. So that's what I'm playing. What are so, you doing, Sean? So before we get into me, now is your – you said your world is based on like Thief and um, – wow. Thieves, a, yeah, Thieves, thieves, thieves World. world right? Thieves World. Um, sanctuary? Uh, sanctuary, yep. City of Sanctuary. Yep. So is it all uh, city adventuring? Nope, there's plenty of stuff outside. I've taken the group outside a couple of times into different outlands areas. They've gone north, south, east, west. And last time I actually took two of the guys on an ocean voyage across the, the outer sea. And uh, they ended up on some crazy-ass island with this dwarven alchemist. It was a blast. Fought, uh, they got toe-to-toe with a couple of wyverns out there. It was it was a lot of fun. So are you starting, are you starting from scratch? 
Um, this one, the guys are going to be, it's new characters, brand new characters, and they're going to be in the city at this point, part of a uh, group called the White Griffins. It's kind of a, um, that world's answer, if you will, to like an FBI, CIA type of thing. They do, they investigate some of the supernatural threats within the city itself and sometimes without. And uh, their goal is going to be dealing with some of the problems there. I don't want to give too much away because I have a feeling a couple of my players might listen to this. So yeah. that's as far as, as I'm going to go. Dirty players. It's that metagaming, dude. They're going to use it. Oh, They're going to use it on me. No. All right. Good information. So for information on Osric, which is the AD&D rules that are laid out better, right? Oh, so way better, way better, way better. I picked that up at Gen Con two years ago um, from those guys. I had Dungeon Crawl Classics in one hand and Osric in the other, the hardcover. And I was kind of down on the cash I had in my pocket, and I flipped over. I was like, 25 bucks, done. I'm like, well, you know, we'll see how it is. Reddit went, wow, this is awesome. It's so much easier to read. It flows better. It's it's a, it's fun. I've run it a couple times now for the guys. It's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, me, what am I? Uh, so I'm playing, for the most part. I've got a couple classes a week. So my weekly gaming has come to an abrupt halt. Now I am playing every two weeks. Um, so if my GM shows up, which is a buddy of mine, um, we're playing Star Wars Fantasy Flight Games version of Star Wars role-playing game. Um, age, no, ah, not the Age of Rebellion, but the um, Edge of the Empire. And I'm playing a diplomat, Politico, which is basically the talker, talk guy, talky-talk guy of the party. Unfortunately, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to talky-talk because a lot of it's been combat and shooting and things that I have been um, not very well versed at. My character hasn't, so um, I've I've done some very bad things um, when I try to accomplish them because they're not my forte. So Doing you've that. done bad things as in you oh. you failed horribly yes. or you've done bad things as you've shot babies or something no, no shooting babies <laughs> no but but you you could fail bad enough that such a thing could occur right <laughs> okay so i could be so bad that i would inadvertently shoot babies but it wouldn't be my intention okay all right um and then if that doesn't occur for example if something comes up with rgm then i would probably run the lost mine of Fandelver, which is the uh, D&D adventure that comes with the starter set. So I started the group in on that. I think I mentioned it last episode. That's what I would be doing if I ran that piece. But otherwise, that's about it. Now, I've got the inkling to start something up, you know, but given my workload, I don't know if I'd be able to swing it. So I may, in January, cut a class because gaming takes precedence. I don't know. Education is great, but come on, let's go. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where you people live, but I mean, where we live, (laughs) there's, there's, there's gaming, family, country, you know, things like that, you know, that's right. What is it? It's got, it's God core country for for the Marines and it's like gaming family country for us. Maybe I don't know. (laughs) Or gaming family work there. That's a better way to go. That's right. Um, so let's see. So topic of discussion today, what we bringing to you is metagaming yes so we talked about this a little bit last time and this is what made you have to say you're sorry to your players <laughs> i yelled and at I, somebody last week about metagaming so that's where it's coming from so let's you know if we're gonna do something we've got to define it right because as i learned in my philosophy courses in college if you don't have a if you have a term you don't define the bloody thing no one's gonna know what the hell you're talking about so you, sean what when you say metagaming are you what bringing you academia into this? <laughs> I was a philosophy major in college. If I don't use this now, it does nothing. Give me a break. <laughs> anyway, so let's define the term. What have you got, Sean? When you say, when I say, hey, I allow metagaming, and you flip out on me, that's because it means what to you? Uh, so I think it's talking outside and thinking about what you're, you know as a player versus what your character would actually know. So you're taking the knowledge as a player – and manipulating the game to your advantage and acting it acting on that knowledge through your character within the game. So that's I'm sure there's other definitions. I'm sure people are like, dude, Sean, you are on absolute crack, but that's what I'm I'm that's what I go with. Brett. So when the so when the guy shows up and he says, and there's the trap, 
and there's three levers. And he says, I push them all in at once. And you're like, son of a, you read the module. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. That's the only way you know this. Yeah, you did. Oh, yeah, I read the module. Then you want to kick his ass because you read the module. That's metagaming. Stuff you personally know outside applying to. Or like when my buddy who is ex-Marine Force Recon has a mage, and the guy sets up like Marine Force Recon base camp for us, like with a fire here and a half a thing there, this type of guards, and you you know you can still. I mean, <laughs> Jan's the guy who knows you know when you're crawling over a hill, you keep low, and the moon's at the right peak because it silhouettes you, blah blah blah, because he's been shot at, right? So he knows all this stuff. And every character he has is basically Marine Scout. Recon guy, mage. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same base level of knowledge, whether he's a halfling or not. It doesn't matter. It's what he knows. So is that? Would you? Would you? Would you say that that's the same definition that you would use for metagaming? I would because it's that it's uh, my guys used to do OCC. Uh, no, OOC out of character all the time. You know, they would say talk something back and forth and be like, "What are you guys doing?" I'm sorry, this is OOC. It's out of character. Out of character. Okay. That was out of character? Yeah. Okay, so you don't know that. Make sure you ignore it, play around it. Yeah, I know. We just had to bring that up because it's something we happen to know, blah, blah, blah. But it can get in the way or slow you down when you're trying to do something because I shouldn't say slow you down, but sometimes it inadvertently speeds things up in the wrong direction or the right direction that maybe shouldn't be happening. I think part of it comes to do you want to experience everything as the character or the player? Because old school, really old school, right? You read the old Dragon magazines on how to be a better player. They weren't how to be a better character. They are how to be a better player. And they gave you all these clues and tips and tricks of how to use spells creatively, how to, you know, 10-foot uh, <clears throat> pull everything properly, how to uh, use your rope trick spell, all this crap. So you as a player didn't get taken advantage of because it was you maneuvering a person, not you as said person. So if you look at it from that perspective, I get where some of the older folks, <clears throat> this is that's that's horrible. Uh, but for those of us who played, you know, back in the day, 70s, 80s and so on, it was you against somebody else and it was the GM, you know, with a challenge up for the players. You know, you were you were had to bring everything in your player tackle box in order to get past that trick, you know, open it up and see what you had. So that's what I see as metagaming. and now when I play with my group now, for the most part, they don't want anything to do with that, and they'll slip and they'll they'll jump into it. But generally speaking, if somebody goes too far, someone in the group raises their hand and says, "You wouldn't know that because you're a bargeman and you've never left the city of Avalon. There's no way you would know what a Lindorm is because you've never been in a freaking woods. You do not know what a Lindorm dra- dragon type creature is. There's no way." If the other guy can say, "Well, actually, <clears throat> I'm a bard and I know a lot of tall tales," then they have a back and forth, maybe end up in a die roll to see if they know it or not. But people call each other on it on a regular basis in my group because they don't like the idea of somebody's outside of character knowledge interfering with how the story is being told because they feel it's uh, it's artificial. That doesn't make sense. So they don't do it necessarily in your group, but what are your feelings as a GM? Would you allow it or how do you how do you manage it as a GM if you didn't have that type of play you know, or that group? Well, I've done it before. When I was playing with, uh, when I run for the little, uh, for the high school group up at uh, DC Everest, my uh, high school I graduated from, when I go up there to the old alma mater and I run for that for that gaming club, those guys, they're, they're kids, right? So they're all junior high, middle school type of things, and uh, they're all they're all metagaming the hell out of everything. Oh, I know what that is. That's an orc, blah, blah, blah. I go, no, you don't. This character doesn't know that. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to, put, I have to play like I don't know it. That's right. Play like you don't know what this is. You know, <clears throat> so one way around it is I try not to use stock names, stock descriptions, wherever it might be. Change it up. Um, don't say that you see five trolls. You describe the creature, this rubbery, loathsome thing. It's got this, you know, elongated face, big tusks. You just kind of describe what it looks like. Then they have to sort out what they think it may or may not be. But to your question of do I allow it, I don't think I can get rid of it, really. I mean, it's it's really hard. The The thing, though, is that I don't... There's a, how do I want to say this? There's a level I think you can allow, or at least I, I, I don't mind. But once it goes past that, I can't. Then I'm like, whoa, you're, you're breaking everything. The whole, you hang your reality on a certain peg, and what you guys are doing is on, it's on a higher peg. I can't even reach that anymore. You're, you're bringing in stuff because you happen to be a nuclear physicist, and now you're fixing this problem. No, that doesn't work like that. So 
I don't know. Like, like I said, I can allow it, but I've got a, I've got a level. I don't necessarily know what that is, but I know when I hit my breaking point because I stomp on it. Yeah, I would be hard pressed to, uh, and that maybe it's just my lack of exposure, but I would be interested because I don't think you can capture it at a gaming convention because you want people to have a good time. Um, I think if you're at your home group that you're going to have a set of expectations with yours they just don't do it well that's years i mean like i said last time that's 20 years of building to that we've got well two we've actually got three new players and chad was was trying to do stuff and he stopped said do you guys allow table talk which is was his term for it i said well we do to a point but you know make sure it doesn't get in the way so if i'm running combat and i'm trying to go quick and the guys are trying to react the monster's doing something crazy it's narrative go 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 boom 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 and then in the background you know, I guess if you're not in the moment, if you're not in the spirit of it, and you, you know, somebody will stomp on you just because we've been doing it. But um, I know where Chad came from. They would take a, a second, kind of come around with, at least my understanding, and the group kind of sorts it out like we used to back in high school and say, hey, what do you want to do? How do we want to attack this? And kind of come together with a, with a plan and then go at it. When in reality, in combat, you yeah, really don't have that much time to sit down and create a 10 minute plan on how you're going to attack the zombies. You either attack them or you die, you know? So what I was, yeah. And that's the thing is with, I think it would be interesting to see and experience what a true session or a session is with true gaming in it without the metagaming. Um, because I think there's a smidgen of it that's relatively accepted, and I think that's just because that's the way GMs kind of – they want to roll with it. Um, but, I mean, if you think of every situation you get into when you're role-playing, and so the GM paints the picture, and then you got the players reacting to that, there is always – I shouldn't say always, but there always – I keep saying it anyway. <laughs> Might as well. But there seems to be an inclination to, even when you're talking in a group, you know, you, pers- you know, player A talks to player B, and you're like, the GM says, are you saying that out loud? Oh, no, I wouldn't say that out loud. Well, of course, right? You know, are you saying it in front of the, the, the NPC that you're in front of or in front of the king or whoever it is? Oh, no, no. Well, then how do you convey that information to that other player if you're not doing it in the character, right? But I think it's kind of hand-waved, and you say, well, that's what I was planning on doing, right? And and even some capacity, I think there's some metagaming that goes on that I allow kind of as almost a subconscious of a character. So while we may not appreciate metagaming, one incident where I may see it be allowed is if you have a scene where there's a player character and he is conversing or about to do something and there's nobody else in the room. And you have another player that says, hey, you should do this. Another player says, hey, you should do that. Sometimes I'll let that fly because I think it's it can almost be considered inner turmoil of that one character. Maybe it's his, his or her conscious trying to figure out what they're really trying to do or what they're really trying to accomplish. And they got the little inner voices that are coming together, trying to sway them one way or the other. A perfect example is I have a friend of mine who always tends to try to play a paladin and there's always the GM, whether it's me or another friend of ours that always tries to put him in a moral conundrum. And so it's like, a perfect example would be you need to get the information and you're going to interrogate this person. You're the only one there and you're a paladin, but you need the information because it may save other people's lives. How far does that person, that paladin, who may be lawful good, push himself to cross the line? So you'll get players that are kind of sitting there going, yeah, you should just totally smack the snot out of that guy. Just do it. And then you'll give so you the, the, the angel devil thing, right? Exactly. One on each shoulder poking. So I think that metagame, that metagaming kind of approach sometimes works and brings a certain level to the game, which kind of cracks everybody everybody up, at least in our experience. So when he does actually say, you know, when he actually does something, it crosses that line. It's hilarious because it, you could see him just, okay, I'm going to slap him. 
and I'm just going to go up whack. And then, and then everybody's like, oh, you know, you got one side of the team saying, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And the other guy, yeah, right, way to go. And then it finally resolves itself. But I think overall it's it's hard to play all the way through because I think what happens is, and I think it would be a really awesome experience if it was just completely completely removed. So if you were all your characters were in a room and you were trying to talk to each other and the NPC sitting there and you say, well, you can't, if you're going to talk to each other, you you're talking in front of the NPC. And if they say, well, we don't want to do that. Then I say, well, then you, you have to tell me what you do to not make that happen. Okay. We leave the room and talk. Oh, you're just going to, how do you excuse yourself then? Are you just walking out or, and then how does that play with the, the person, the NPC? Yep. So one of the things that my group has done, and they've always done this to me, is that when I first started running Vampire Forum, they want to plot and figure things out. So they would say, hey, can I talk to so-and-so in private? I'm like, yeah, go out in the hallway or whatever and chat with them. So now they'll say, hang on, I need to talk to you, 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 and you. And then they pull them out. And they usually have in-character discussions. Every once in a while, I'm, I'm not there, right, and I let them do it. They'll talk about the rules or how this may or may not, what their percentage chances, does this really make sense? Because I'm not there, I'm sure they talk about it. However, when they come back to the group to implement whatever it is that they figured out, it's always in character. Because if they come back and they say, well, the rules state, blah, 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 and then like, nah, no, nobody in the room will buy it. They know they have to – they can create it however they want, but the, to sell it, to pitch it to the group as their idea or whatever it is, they've got to go in character. Because if they don't go in character, no one's going to buy it, including me. Well, there you have it. Well, it helps. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing, though, is that I think part of it is when, like in combat, when somebody or somebody wants to do something, you have to look at them. At least I do as a game master and say, you you may know that, Sean, but your dwarf and first level character has never met a troll before. He doesn't know. Be like, well, no, no, no. Hold on, Brett. You know, he, he, he grew up in these mines. You know, he's heard tales. Of, okay, yeah, he's heard stories, but he's never physically seen one. This thing's scary to him. He's never dealt with this in person before. All right, fine. I buy that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I know they regenerate, but I don't necessarily remember, uh, well, do I remember this tale or whatever? And then you can kind of have that back and forth to try to forge something, some way to get your meta knowledge into the actual game. If it doesn't work, I got to look at you and my job is to say, no, it doesn't, sorry, no go, doesn't work. So you're just that example. You're talking about character or players knowing the monster stats. Or or whatever the rule is. Well, I wouldn't have, I would never try that because I only have a twenty five percent chance of blah blah blah. Or well, I know this thing. If I do this, I'll just make sure I have enough time to take ten or take twenty so I can get past this lock or what. Whoa 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 whoa! Time time time! Stop. That's not how that works. What do you want to do? How are you trying to do it? You know, what's your logic for doing it this way and talking it out? Yeah, I think. I, you know, and I, I would be hard pressed again with either of my groups where they, if I gave them an encounter and they were, they figured out the creature there and it's a common creature, they're going to know its weaknesses. And that would be hard for them to not do anything or act upon those. And sometimes I'm, I've even recently thought of it where maybe I will just pick out Somebody in the party, maybe it's a ranger or maybe it's just a uh, an intelligent wizard of some kind that knows that information inherently. So that if they were to want to say, oh, it's a troll and they're going to regenerate and the only way to get rid of them is fire. And if they know that, then they know it either through the tomes and their own knowledge, which somebody could say, well, then they should have a knowledge skill that covers that. And that's fine. However you want to cover it within the game. Yep. But if it's only that person, I would only bestow that information to one person um, and maybe maybe multiple people, depending on what their experience is. But how do they convey it to the rest of the group when they actually run into uh, a combat situation like that? So one of the things I wanted to talk about briefly in metagaming was the combat piece of it, because I think a lot of the metagaming um, – so with a lot of role-playing games, combat starts, role-playing stops. Yes, combat's where uh, the role-playing stops, and that's where metagaming gets the most dicey. Because if we're outside and we're talking about this, that, and the other thing, and frankly, 
if you're outside, I was out deer hunting this morning. I'm out in the woods, longbow in hand, creeping through the brushes. I think I got into some nettles or something. My hand is kind of numb. But anyway, at a certain point, we're, you're talking back and forth, and you're like, oh, this. And Sean says, well, I do this thing. And Brett pipes up and says, well, you realize that a bend in the river is kind of where this washes, da 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 It's actually deeper at this point than it would be anywhere else. I know. I waded across the stream last weekend. That's totally not game-related, but it helps in a non-combat situation, make it real, make it seem like something kind of cool, and people go, oh, yeah, that's good, you add it in, blah, blah, blah. Once combat starts, though, now it's life and death of your character, and your person can completely be destroyed in front of you because, you know, Drogo the furry-footed burrower doesn't know that trolls regenerate or it's only acid will kill a troll, and you're playing Drogo the furry-footed burrower, and you're fucked because you, Sean, know you need to burn the troll. But the DM won't let you do that. And because the DM's a dick, now your character's dead. So in your head, you're like, no, why Why did I do that? I know better. I should figure out some way. Can I role play in this fact where I you know, I threw oil on it in a, in a match just accidentally on purpose or something like that? Because life and death now. It's kind of that similar to the dice thing we talked about last time is that when it's in combat, life and death is when it gets sketchier for how much capriciousness of the game master and um, how you know everybody wants to win you don't want your character to die necessarily so you sometimes scrap for any uh, edge you could get in order to make it work well i do think that you're right and i think you're touching on it just briefly but to put you over the edge i think a lot of metagaming has to do with the us versus them adage absolutely and so when you're trying to get an edge or you're trying to you know, the GM's like, oh, I'm going to get these guys, whether they're really saying that or not, or that's their mentality. And the guys say, well, I got to pull whatever I can out of my butt to actually get through this encounter. That's when things start to get wacky. And I think if you get a relationship, which is, you know, in some places you can get it. Like, I know you're going to think your group is the bestest group in the world because they... Because they will sit down and, and understand that you're not out to get them necessarily. You're out to paint the picture, and they're going to trust that. So, for example, they may my 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 players may not trust me because I'm going to throw them. We'll use the troll example. I'm going to throw them a troll, and because I know they're going to metagame, and I know they're going to want to get up on me, they're going to pull out their oil. They're going to throw it on the troll, and they're going to light it on fire and burn the troll. But. Me, Sean, GM Dickhead, is going to allow the troll to regenerate twice as fast with fire attached to it. Yay, because, <laughs> because I'm that guy. Because it's not your stereotypical troll, and you guys are metagaming, so in order for me to keep it diverse, keep you on your toes, I'm going to throw little tidbits that are outside of what's typical. I don't have a problem doing that. I've actually done that a number of times with my group and with the uh, like the kids. Like I said at the at the the high school I've run for, is a couple of them know what a cobalt is. They know what a wraith is. They know what a giant is, or whatever the case may be. Like what color is this dragon? At you know, simple basic questions like that. And to be able to have a and to describe a dragon as a mottled greenish red color kind of rusty with a vertigris type of you know wing color like what the hell is that and then it breathes fire like oh my god it's a red dragon well it doesn't look red it does all this other weird stuff it just is you know it when you do that you can kind of break it's kind of breaking the uh, not the fourth wall is kind of a weird way to put it but you're breaking down the 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 metagaming isn't going to help you here you've got to get in character now and that's a way to get people out of metagaming the hell out of everything and remembering oh yeah yeah it's it's a specter i'm 12th level i can turn the damn thing clack 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 oh look i turned the specter off it goes because i know what it is if you've never seen one before or you change its description it's howling it's crazy it's you know whatever it is it's just a kobold but you describe it as having warts or some weird infection because all the kobolds here are albino with these you know pug-like faces or something goofy it freaks people out and that's a good way to help get them so that when metagaming doesn't become the thing that they always go to. it does. It's, I mean, it's a sidearm you've always carried with you, but you don't have to pull it out every time because, you know what? He described a monster that I've never seen before, or I just stabbed the skeleton, and uh, edged weapons do full damage and blunt weapons do half in an old-school world. What the hell has happened? Well, it's, you know, it's just a special skeleton. Yay! You know, and this, it makes the world a little more difficult, a little different. 
Yeah, so there's an appreciation for that in Dungeon Crawl Classics by Goodman Games because they go by appendix and um and they they say you can you could play regular monsters, right? You could throw regular monsters that players will actually know about, but describe them differently, don't use their proper names, which you touched Correct. on early in this conversation. But make them weird and wonderful. And I think the problem is, um, and not it's not of anybody's fault necessarily, but I mean, let's face it, we've been gaming for a long time. There isn't a lot of wonder. There, there's, there can be a, lo- a lack of wonder when we role play nowadays because all of us have read four different, four iterations of Monster Manual, right? And I don't say one iteration, then another system comes out in another iteration. I'm talking like four tomes of monsters in in some games and we know what they do we know how to get around what they do if they've got certain traits like if they're undead they're typically going to be immune to x y and z so we can approach them in this way but our characters when they're first level may not necessarily know that but separating that can be pretty difficult and i think that's really what it comes down to and so sometimes it's like what kind of experience as a player do you want do you want the wonder or do you want to just know what it is, but how do you kind of act in game upon that information and knowledge? And I think that sometimes can be quite tricky. And we're just talking about combat. I mean, never mind actually role playing a, a social situation where you've got everybody in one room talking in front of. I mean, what if you got into a palace, you know, and you got into the throne room and you were like Game of Thrones and you had the five player characters in the throne room during a major event with tons of NPCs in there. And you're like, Oh, I gotta, we should talk about this. And you know, do you all exit the room? Or are you going to try, you know, what's going to happen? And I think the funny thing is when you do that is you're going to have one person act on their own. They're going to go, this is what I'm going to do. This is my player character. I'm going to do this. And I say this. And then you hear a pin drop in at the table. Cause yeah. you're like, dude, what do you, you didn't just say that. Did you? And you go, what was else was I supposed to say? And you're like, as a GM, you're like, yay. Awesome. You know? Okay. Let's go with the reaction. And then you've got four other players that are super pissed off because you divulge something you shouldn't have. And you didn't know it was a big top secret thing. So now you have to deal with that. I think there is an interesting piece of that that can really drive a game that usually isn't there uh, because everything's so planned and so methodical and, you know, metagaming's involved and it's just a big, I don't know, it, then it becomes more of a, you know, it's a re- routine that you're programming and you're going to know what the outcome is. And if it's not, you're going to get pissed off at the GM because he's going to shaft you when it's not warranted because you've already crossed the T's and dotted the I's. Well, if you take the step out from like your um, D&D Pathfinder um, role master, your, your very strategic combat, very, very crunchy military type system, and you play some like Amber Diceless or uh, the World of Darkness stuff or any of those uh, more social-based games, even Call of Cthulhu, where uh, metagaming is pretty crazy, but part of the fun in Call of Cthulhu is being terrified and going insane and dying. But anyway, in like Amber, which I just wrapped up with my group, is that you can't, you really can't metagame. There's some, I mean, I shouldn't say you can, you, you can always find a way, but it's always slightly different, and it's the character, what's being presented to you, and what the NPCs are talking about. It's all, it's very, very social interaction more than anything else. The characters met Ghost Wheel, which is this um, big, um, basically, uh, super high-tech computer in the, in the Amber, in the Amber world. It's the easiest way to, to describe it right now. They meet Ghost Wheel, and they're trying to talk to him, and I'm Ghost Wheel. So I'm chatting to him. Most of the characters there have read the Amber books by Zelazny. They get it. They know what, what Ghost Wheel is supposed to act like. Brett seems to be playing it similar to that. It's a different scenario, though. How is it supposed to be? But they can't roll a die. They can't crunch into it. They can't figure out something because uh, it's a social interaction type of game. There's really no basis to – I mean, they could try to attack it. But the Amber Diceless system is so wonky with attacking anyway, that's not really always that's not a good go to thing. I mean you don't always attack the troll because it's really not a good way to go. So I think when groups if you take a break from from the tactical crunchy game and you play something that's more social interaction, you know, play like a fiasco or something along those lines, and you play it, 
then the group would be then they get that opportunity to, where they've got to talk they've got to figure things out and and so on it's not always the same thing maybe like a spy game even i mean there's there's certain die rolls and so on to get crunchy to a point but you know james bond does a lot of talking and not always a lot of shooting yeah, some good stuff about metagaming for sure. And I don't know, I think we covered almost most of it. See, um Well I got one I got one thing. I'll, let me throw this idea at you. There were, this is a story, and I'm I'm not proud of this, but I'm ah. gonna tell you anyway. So my buddy is Lenny is running Return to the uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, uh by Monty Cook, three O, right? D and D third edition. He's gonna run it. He ran it for a group up in Minnesota. They didn't get all the way through, they got killed by Thrommel, this vampire lord. This ace the group. So we run up against this thing, and we're going, 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 going. We're doing really well. We got the sorcerer, um, Fast Eddie, is beta's character's name. He's just boom. He's just crazy. He's blowing shit up or just slaughtering things. We're going really, really well for us. We come up to the area where this vampire lord Thrommel has dominion, and he's kind of figured us out. He's like, all right, I got to go take care of these dudes. Well, the fight's about to happen or just kicks in or is about to kick in in the Lenny's wife comes downstairs and says, hey, we got to put the kids to bed. He's like, all right, guys, we'll be right back. Well, we know what that means. That means about a half an hour. So we sat down, we cracked open the books, and we figured it out. What spells do you have? How long does it take to cast them? What have you got? How many rounds about this? What does it take a vampire to die? And we mapped it out. Lenny came down. Four rounds later, he was dead, and we didn't have a scratch on us. And he's like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. He was so pissed. But... The whole the way he set the game up was it was us against the dungeon. Everything in there was a challenge to be destroyed in any way we could figure it out. It was a very adversarial he versus us. <clears throat> That's how we viewed it. So we attacked it that way. We went, All right. You never told us we couldn't do it. Now, again, looking back, should we have done that? Uh, maybe not. Could Lenny have told us, guys, that's horseshit. I have the vampire run away because he suddenly has, you know divine intervention from some foul deity that you guys are cheating bastards and therefore I run. You know, he, he could have reset. He could have stopped us from doing that. But he went with it and said, all right, sure, go ahead. Yeah, good luck. You, there's no way you'll do this. Well, he completely forgot that Alpha is one of the best rules lawyers we've ever met. So we, <laughs> sorted, we sorted it out four hours later. He's dead. You know, if, if I look at that after everything we've just talked about, if I were to say, you know what, Sean, you just had to go, you know, do this thing, change laundry, whatever it was. You came back downstairs and I said, hey, and you're like, what, what, what you, what's going on? Oh, we got this plan. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Boom, three rounds later. And you'd look at it and go, what? What? You guys can't do that. You know, it sounds like we'd have this big throwdown argument because you don't want that type of thing. But I, I think I don't want to go about this is that it was set up so that that was okay within the group. It was set up so that was kind of how we were going to play it. Is that right? I don't know. We had fun. You know, we had fun doing it. We beat the dungeon. We beat him. But no one was true to their character at that point. It wasn't a character win. It was, you know, four players sorted it out. So, dude, I think. What's your reaction to that? What what, what do you think of that? I think there's two games. I think there's two games, right? When we sit down at the table, there's two games, and we got to figure out which one we're playing. And if the if whatever we choose is going to be the game consistently through. So I'll give you an example. You're either going to play a more tactical game where the objective is to win, or you're going to have another game where it's about the, the quote unquote story. See, if I, if I look at that, then we were on the first one, right? It was a tactical beat the dungeon, right? In that case, we, we were like, anything goes, dude, unless you tell us we can't plan, we're fucking planning. Right. So when you go to, when you go to Gen Con and you, when you um, would compete in the D&D Open, I don't know if they still have it, but when they did during the 3-0 days um, and probably even before that, you, the whole – you'd have a set number of encounters and your whole purpose was to get through the encounters at whatever cost. There was no role-playing. It was like, okay, you're, sure, there would be some flavor text why your party was going through or what the – what the plot was, but essentially you're going through a dungeon, you walk into a room or there's a door in front of you. And what are you going to do? And then when you, the, the rogue detects for traps, um, 
sees if it's locked, unlocks it, and you open the door, there's going to be a big beastie in there, or you're going to have different tile floor or different, different colored tiled floor, and then there's going to be beasties that come down. But essentially what it is is it's a simple encounter and shit is going to per- hit the proverbial fan and you're going to have to get through that. And then you go to the next one and something else is going to be in the next room. So if that's the game you're going to play, bring on the metagaming, bring on the discussion. It's more almost like you're, you know, four miniatures, certain powers with each miniature, and you're going to have to accomplish and, and conquer the task. At the same time, the other side of the fence is you've got the story-based, you know, um, you got the story-based scenario where people are talking about um, how they're, you know, interacting with NPCs, what's the plot line, and you are more immersed into the character and the situation at the time. Now, the trick is with that latter piece or the latter scenario is that when you do hit combat, there's an inclination of stopping that immersion and then busting out into tactical mode to, to number one. So if you if you set those tones up front, I think you can accomplish what you're looking for and everybody will be on the same page no matter what. And I think there's always going to be kind of like a, a stepping over the line and you try to bring that person back or saying, okay, I'll let you get away with that one. But in the future, Hey, you, you can't really think of it that way. So I think that's when you sit down with a group, whether you've been partying with them for 30 years, or if you've just met them because you're, you know, running a game at a game store and anybody can show up and play. I think you got to really establish what you're going to expect from the game, um, from the player's perspective and the GM. That's all I have to say about that. I'll tell you what, though. I mean, this kind of goes to what we've, you know, I've said uh, probably outside the podcast and other things is like, what is your group like? You know, I know my guys pretty well. And when I got together with the guys with the with the high schoolers and other groups I've played with, I said, hey, uh, this is what I do. And this is what this adventure is about. And then I run them through a social interaction and then right into a little combat. There's small things, but right at the gate. One of the reasons I do that is so that they understand how I want to run both of those things. So the first time they have combat and they go a little too crazy metagamey, I go, hang on a second. I don't know if your character knows that, but it's a non-really life-threatening thing. It's freaking goblins and your 10th level fighters. They're going to die. <clears throat> but if you break into too much metagamey, I get a chance to go, no, 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 no. We want to tone that back a bit, pull it back a touch. You don't know that. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, that's how you want to play it. I get it. So you can kind of work your way into that as opposed to, you know, at the very – you go through – Interact, social, 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 boom, huge life and death threatening combat, and then that's when you drop the bomb on them, or the cases. It's kind of, I try to do it something a little light up front, where the character is getting a little bit of a brawl, whatever it is, just so they get a chance to feel it out, ask some of those things, and if they start going in a direction I don't like, I can kind of throw the wall up and say, eh, guys, I don't know, I don't know if I want to tell that kind of story right now. Let's let's pull it back. Let's let's try something different. If they don't like that. Then they have the opportunity to argue with me and say, no, you know, my, my guy really would know that because he's a gnome from whatever hills and he, he knows everything there is to know about salamanders. Okay, great. He's a salamander genius now. But then you get to set that rule with him like, okay, you know, salamanders, two, two combats later when the earth elementals show up, you know shit about earth elementals, dude. You're the salamander guy, remember? Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm the salamander guy, you know, so you can play that with him. But I think Salamander guy. <laughs> I, I don't know. Made that up. But anyway, point is, is you if you don't, you've got to have the dialogue in some way, and it's not always easy to to sit down and say, look, here's all the rules for playing at Brett's table. Here's all the rules for Sean's table. Meta gaming is only allowed in these very particular circumstances. All social interactions. Are, yeah, fuck it. Nobody has time to do that. So if you give people a chance to get into it, just kind of work their way into these different types of encounters, whatever they are, either social or combat or investigative, or whatever other terms you want for it. But just let them kind of touch into it. Just kind of see how it works and play it with you the first time. By the third, fourth combat, they got it. It's no different by the time they meet the big dragon at the end as opposed to the kobold guards up front. Yeah, they kind of sorted things out with the kobolds. But by the time they got the dragon, they're doing the right level of metagaming. Or when they go too far and you stomp on them, they know why because you stomped on them five other times for the same bloody thing, and they already agreed to it. Social contract, right? Social contract. All right, dude, we're we're getting into the almost an hour mark. Let's get into 
die roll. Oh, yeah. Die roll is where we talk about anywhere from one to five elements that um, could be gaming related, could not be gaming related, but they're more rapid fire. Brief talk. Brett, going to start with you this time. You've got, looks like, th- three to things yes. to talk about. And go. So tonight was the first night I was actually able to get out uh, hunting this year. So I, uh, I deer hunt, uh, bird, small game, all sorts of stuff. And when I when I deer hunt with archery, I use a longbow. So it's a lot of fun. It's incredibly challenging. I've uh, had a lot of close calls, but I haven't actually been able to bring one down yet with my longbow. Still a lot of fun. Um, tonight, one of the things that hit me was i sneaking through this one spot to get to where I want to check out this one watering hole. And I kick out this big this gigantic great horned owl. It was really cool. I kick him out. They do the quiet owl thing where he just takes off. You can't hear a word. Uh, word, they don't speak. Um, can't hear sound, right? You know, yeah, it doesn't say anything. It's weird. Very quiet. Not, not very talkative. Anyway, it's just deathly quiet. And I'm doing my best. I'm creeping and sneaking. And I thought, you know what? If I had a whole bunch of crap on my back like your average adventurer would, how the hell would I ever get through this swamp sneaky? Because I got cat to I'm 6'3", man. I got weeds taller than me and I'm working my way through to get to this different clearing and by these trees and stuff. And I'm like, man, this is, this is hard work. I wouldn't, I, you, you're ex army, Sean. How the hell did you go through that crap with 80 pounds of stuff on your back? That's insane. This is too much. So anyway, I just, it was a ton of fun, but you know, sneaking through there, I thought, man, I've got like, you know, minimal gear with me right now, let alone an adventurer out in the woods. Who's, you know, planning to get from here to, you know, castle whatever in the long forgotten marshes holy crap just the hell that would have to be so that ran through my head while i was sneaking around looking for deer today that was fun the other one i've got is i did not get out for a motorcycle ride today with sean we talked about this last time i was hoping to get out for a bike ride (laughs) yeah it didn't happen but i'm thinking we got to do one soon because it won't be long october is going to be here what next in two weeks snow Snow, exactly. Snow is coming. Winter is coming. (laughs) Exactly. It's going to hit us. we got to get on the bikes one more time, at least, for a nice ride. Next weekend, speaking of cold, the boys and I, my two sons, my oldest is 15, my youngest is 8. We're going camping our last trip. We've got a little pop-up camper we're going to go out with. And uh, they've been itching to do some gaming with Daddy again. So we're going to pull out, and I've got... My old Chessex mat. I'm going to bring out some plastic minis, and I think I'm going to do some just really, really basic D&D dungeon crawly stuff, because that's what they love. So we're going to do that next weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Where are you going camping? Are you going, like, uh, what is the the, the fluffy, fluffy campground? Camp Flintstone? Is it, <laughs> no, is it, no. Not the Flintstone one? What's it called? No, jelly, jelly, jelly Jellystone. Stone yeah. Jellystone, yeah. That's, no, nothing like that. I can't. It's a state park, uh, southern half of Wisconsin. I can't remember where the hell it is offhand. It's not Blue Mounds. It's somewhere near there. But, yeah, I'll be doing that next weekend. All right, those are mine. Sean, you're up. All right, so my first one I'm going to go into is G+, because I'm a G+, fanboy, if you haven't noticed, um, for gaming specifically. So I think uh, I got a bunch of followers. Thanks for everybody out there that, that have circled me. and But a majority of those folks are are gamers so if you're a gamer and you're not on g plus um you're really missing out on a great experience there's a lot of interchanging of ideas interchanging exchanging i love it how i podcast and i can't talk like when i'm (laughs) when we're on a podcast i can't talk but when i'm talking normally i'm fine that's not true he sucks all the time um, so I had a glitch in my earphones. I just missed something that Brett might have said. But G Plus for gaming, I think if you go on there, there's awesome communities. There's a butt ton of people to to connect with that offer. I mean, there's people that are designing maps. There's people designing adventures. There's people that have scenarios that have tips on doing different things. And I think if you're not on G Plus and you're a gamer, you're really missing out on a lot. A lot of people think it's a ghost town, um, but it's it really is not a ghost town if you're willing to interact with people that you don't know. And even if you don't interact, you could lurk and stalk, and a lot of people do that, and that's fine too. So um, you joined a couple. You joined a couple decent RPG communities out there. There are a shit ton of them, like Sean said. I mean, that's how I found. That's how I found tons and tons of people 
that like the games I like. You know, I join a couple communities. I don't even post to half the communities because they just don't have the time. But I get them in my in my feeds, right? See what's going on. So and so is building this map. This guy's got this really cool uh, hacker idea of how we did this thing. Somebody's re um, rebuilt Star Frontiers of all weird things to run on this particular system. Wow, that's cool. I don't see crap like that on, on Facebook. Facebook tends to have the more of the drama and the Facebook crap with it, in my opinion. And the Google Plus, I mean, it's not a ghost town, at least for gamers. For me, man, this is where I get 90% of my gaming lore is I pull out of Google Plus. You know, Facebook is just nothing but compared to compared to Google Plus for gamers. Yeah. So moving on to number two for me, Roll20.net is the website. Uh, if you want to game online and you don't want to pay anything for a virtual tabletop, Roll20.net, they just went over 600,000 users. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. So it's web-based. Um, it does have video chat, almost as if you are on Skype. You can have, I don't know how many people you can actually have in one session. You could drop maps into it. I've been told, I haven't checked it out, but I've been told that you can actually have in-application in purchases. So you can purchase a module and it populates the entire module and it gives you access to all the maps, all the tokens you can drop on the map. It's very intuitive as far as the user interface goes. Um, and again, it doesn't matter, since it's web-based, it doesn't matter if you're on a Mac, Linux, um, or a Windows machine. It, it's really awesome. Um, they've got character sheets for different systems on there that you can upload and keep in, uh, you know, uploaded into their application and access down the road. Um, they've got online forums so that you can, and then you can communicate with individuals through your group. So if you haven't checked out Roll20.net, I highly suggest that you do. I started getting into it when we were going to run an online Star Wars Fantasy Flight Games Um game buddy of mine did their character sheet and he's gotten a lot of reviews on that and a lot of kudos for it so but i would check that out for sure allows you to play with anybody in the world any time of the day or night um i can't say enough about it um and then my number three i only have three this week my last one was listening to another podcast because that's what i do and i found out that frank metzer um the individual who designed and developed the original red box set back in, I think it was in the eighties. Um, yep. right. With the Larry Elmore dragon. Um, yep. I've got, I've got two of those. <laughs> so he was a guest of honor at Paizocom. And, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So Frank is a great guy. I've met him a couple times, um, and talked to him. A very approachable guy. Um, he's been in the industry since, the days of TSR of yours, um, big uh, friend of Gary's originally, um, really good uh, talk at PaizoCon talking about his interaction with TSR and a little bit of the history of TSR and then what he's been doing. Um, I've met him at GaryCon. He's going to be at GameholeCon, um, and he's just a real approachable guy, and he'll he'll talk to you about anything pretty much. Um, so I, I thought that was really awesome that he was a guest of honor at PaizoCon. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, when I think of PaizoCon and I think of just the, the gaming industry as it is now, you don't get a lot of people that are from Frank's generation from the TSR days that have really played a, a significant role in today's games necessarily. And, and, you know, he does the auction at Gen Con every year, I believe. Yes, yes, he does. Still does. He's he's handed it over. I think somebody else is actually owning it slash in charge of it. But Frank's still there, and it's awesome when he's up there running it. That between he, Tom Wyam, Tim Cask, and those old dudes, when they get up there and they talk games, there's nothing they don't know. It is amazing. I love sitting in the auction and listening to those guys. That's that's how I've my interactions with Frank were all around. The auction and just BSing with him inside and outside, and it's uh, he's a he's an amazing fount of insight and just overall gamer wisdom. He's a cool dude. Yeah, so it was me and like three, four guys at Gamehole last year, and I'd played with Frank at GaryCon that same year, 2013 in March, and then when Gamehole came around in November, Frank stopped by. I mean, he literally came into the bar. It was four of us sitting around. We invited Frank over to sit down. He sat down with us, and we just kind of 
talked like four or five gamers would talk and it was really uh an experience but a really nice guy and I, i'm glad that paizo khan had him as a guest of honor they could have had anybody that they invited out there you know frankly um i know that frank knows a little bit about uh pathfinder and yes, he, men- he, does. he mentioned that about that in his talk to them and um you know how the the difference is nowadays and um but I think it's also important for some of the folks that may not know some of those, um, the originators. Um, obviously, we can't um, talk with Dave Arneson or Gary Gygax because they've gone on and, and rest in peace. But, you know, with guys like Frank and Jim, um, you know, that you could talk to them just like anybody. And hopefully, if you get the experience to do so, by all means. But those are my three. I think that's it. Do you have any closing yeah. words or thoughts, Brett? No, I think that I think we've covered it. I've kind of kind of got me on a nostalgia kick now. I think I'm going to grab my uh, my red box when we're done here and just kind of thumb through it. It's uh, well worn, well loved. God, I had a lot of good memories with that thing. I think I got, we're going to take a look at that when we're done. I got to pull mine out and take it to Game Hole so I can get Frank to sign it. See, that's my thing too. I got him to sign a couple things for me two years ago at Gen Con and. You hate to say it, but I mean, the old guys, there's a certain point when they won't be able to make it. They may be with us for a very long time, but when they'll be able to attend these conventions and hang out, whether you appreciate the way that they game or gamed and the things that they built, um, it may, may not sing to you anymore. But if it weren't, if it was not for that thing that they did, we would not have, I would not have a Pathfinder. I would not, not have some of these things. You know, I mean, even Call of Cthulhu, and I mean, it's, it's older and, some of the guys that built it, they're not building it anymore, right? They're not there. And um, a lot of the, it's just, it's really cool to be part of a hobby at a certain point where you're like, wow, I remember when this thing was there and I had it. And my God, that guy is still here. I mean, there's only so many Beatles left. I mean, it's not the same necessarily global impact, per, but for us nerds, it's, it's pretty freaking cool, man. So there you have it. That's an episode two. Thanks for joining us. Uh, again, my name is Sean. And I'm Brett. Have a good one.